folks, you know you're in for a treat when you hear that tune because it's time for another week of the Rec Poker Podcast. Now, I say every week, but if you're just listening to this, this is the Chats edition of the podcast. We actually have this coming out twice a week. Uh, we record the Chats edition every week where we talk to a different person in the world of poker and interview them and find out all sorts of exciting stuff about their lives. But then we also do the Forums edition of the podcast. Uh, it comes out every Tuesday where we take a hand from the forums, uh, a post from one of our community members or our premium members and talk about it with the Wrecking Crew on the air. So uh, don't forget, you've got a chance to check us out twice a week on Tuesday and Friday mornings. If you don't know what's going on, I'm Jim Reed. I'm the host tonight. But uh, it takes a village to do what we do here at Rec Poker. We're a largely volunteer-based organization. Most of what we do is free. We've got a fantastic premium membership that you can get a piece of for only $5 using the code Rec Poker. Um, and, but because most of what we do is free, I have to start by thanking our sponsors. Uh, Mark Pershawn, in particular, over at Website Amp, um, he's got some exciting news of his own coming up. Um, but I just want to thank Mark for really building this whole the website, what we've done as uh, together with him as our technical director. Uh, we really could not have done any of, of what we've done over the last couple of years without Mark Pershawn. So a real sincere thank you and a lot of gratitude to uh, Mark over at Website Amp there. And speaking of OGs of Rec Poker, our other uh, podcast sponsor, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Um, they've been with us since day one, and uh, we really do appreciate their support. And if you're playing, uh, if you're a poker fan in the state of Minnesota, I encourage you to head on down to uh, Running Aces uh, Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Go have some fun with their tournaments and their cash games there. And say hi to John Barrows, the uh, tournament director, and tell him that the Rec Poker guys sent you. Um, and they'll treat you real nice, I assure you. But like I say... It takes a village. We've got our free community account. All it takes is an email address and a smile. You can go sign up right now at Rec.Poker for your free account. You can go premium. You can join the Wrecking Crew, which is the core team of the movers and shakers here at Rec Poker that spend every week and month putting in their time and effort, uh, hosting the strategy sessions, um, sharing their insights in the forums, uh, uh, hosting our study groups, our book studies, all the other amazing stuff that we do here. Um, like I said, I'm just the guy they put in front of the uh, microphone on Monday nights. It really does take a village, a crew. And if you want to find out more about the Wrecking Crew and myself, you can go to rec.poker slash crew. But you're actually going to hear from a few of them tonight, starting with our one of our newest members, Ben Enslow. Hey, uh, as Jim said, my name is Ben Enslow. I'm bjamin 96 on Twitch. You can find the, <clears throat> the rest of my socials there. And I'm East Coast Bitter in the home game. And I, this is the first time I haven't gone first, so it is a sign that we're growing, but uh, I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5b5 on Twitter or 5x5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I am John Somsky. I'm known as Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Keith Brandt, and that's Monkey System everywhere. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman50 just about everywhere. And as you can tell, you know, the crew gets bigger every month. Um, we start this off alphabetically by first name, and it's a different uh, collection of people that show up every week in the podcast, too. We've got a lot of different members of the Wrecking Crew. Not everybody can make it every week. So don't worry, Chris. Ben will have something coming up one of these days, and you'll be right back in there in the rotation. Um, I'm, uh, I'm changing my, my name to Abraham Chris Jones or something <laughs> like that. Just to, yeah, to block the rest of you. <laughs> yeah. But, and, you know, five by five, if it starts with the number five, technically alphanumeric, you know, you think that number would come in before even the letter A. So we can we can we can work on that in the back. Um, How about A, A Ron? 
A A Ron. That's perfect. It's two A's. That no one no one beats A A Ron when it comes to uh, alphabetical by first name. He's got it locked up, no doubt. Um, speaking about uh, names, we've actually gotten a few new premium members since I got uh, I I had to miss last week. And so I really got a chance to enjoy listening to the show myself, catching up on uh, what Chris was doing as the host. It was great. It was, Chris was very kind of you to purposefully uh, uh, have a little trouble with the audio cues just to demonstrate to the audience that it's not as easy as it looks. And, and um, it, when I screw it up, it's not because I am you know mentally deficient necessarily. It's just that it's actually a very challenging task. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it was one of those where I was like, well, I we got to we got to give Jim a little bit of like credit here so let's let's throw one for the team let's just kind of like go off the rails to start and that's that's i you know it's i just felt like it was the nice thing to do well it was it was appreciated it it made me feel good to hear it yeah, I was saying, Jim, you, there's no betting lines anymore with you. And like I used mm. to put in the chat, like, all right, what do we got for bets? Like, what do we think? You know, how? Yeah, what's you know, the over under on number on of audio? Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do I that. I love anymore. it. It's, no, we're getting now. You polished. We're just yeah. too polished in operation over here. Um, we're, we're already getting some c- comments in the YouTube chat. So, folks, I, I, I started listening to the Rec Poker podcast just as a podcast on audio. But now, um, years later, we are doing this live on YouTube every Monday night at 730 Eastern. Uh, so you can come and uh, join the group. We do a free prize at the end of every show. Uh, we can ask our questions of the guest uh, every week, whatever the subject is that week and the guest this week. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but Josh Campbell here in the chat says, glad to see you back, Jim. We missed you last week, but Chris did well and certainly knows how to roll a die. That's right. And Joe Cool, <laughs> Joseph Cool has agrees. I know Joe likes it because he was the winner last week and he got himself a uh, $15 coaching credit uh, for all of the Wrecking Crew uh, stuff that goes on over there. And I know he's not the first person. We've had a few of these uh, uh, winners. Um uh, use some of those coaching credits to get some training and some coaching or some video analysis from some of our Wrecking Crew members over the last little while. And uh, that's great. We love to see people learning actively um, along with our Wrecking Crew members, because that's kind of what a lot of us are here for. We're here on the Wrecking Crew because we like helping people. We like talking about the game of poker and uh, helping other recreational players kind of take that next step. So um, I wanted to thank a couple of new premium members who have stepped up recently and uh, uh, so Joel Barton, I think I mentioned Joel, uh, mentioned, uh, uh, about a month ago or something like that, but just in case I didn't say it on the air, Joel, thank you so much for coming on and for your very encouraging words on Facebook. That's just a lovely message to have come across my screen. I really do appreciate that. Um, but Michael Savage, uh, also took the plunge recently. Michael's been a regular in our home games for the last little while and has enjoyed the podcast. Um, he's taken the plunge in December. He's going to be learning along with the rest of us. The theme of the December is playing against limpers. And I know that's something that uh, Michael and a few of us others in our own home games, we encounter limpers here and again. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting to know Michael Savage better. Um, and Sarah Hansen. This is such a treat. Sarah Hansen has been a community member for a long time, um, an active uh, player in our home games. Um, she just joined our premium membership and I can't wait to get to know Sarah better. Uh, personally, we've chatted before uh, in over, uh, I think, DMs in the site or something like that. Uh, but it's great to get her more involved. I can't wait to see what Sarah Hansen has to find in our uh, wonderful archive of amazing uh, premium membership materials here. Okay. So uh, every once in a while, 
because we do these live, we get a guest that doesn't make the show. <laughs> so we had a guest lined up for tonight. I'm not going to say who it was, just in case we can't get them back into the show later. To what we're going to do is um, they had a uh, they had a, a medical issue that came up today, and so we were not able to get them here live on the podcast. So every once in a while, we have to just record the show here without um, the actual guest interview. And I'm going to interview that uh, person um, at another time this week. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to get that interview and stitch it into the uh, video and audio that will come out later this week. So our live YouTube viewers, um, the good news is you're going to get a chance to win a free month of premium membership at Rec.Poker that much faster. Uh, the bad news is you're going to have to tune in on Friday like everybody else uh, to hear the interview where we'll be talking with someone who you will recognize in the poker world. And we're going to be talking about the theme of playing against limpers. So I'm excited for that. So How many I'm yellow gonna... shirts do you have, Jim? How many yellow shirts do I have? Because <laughs> yeah. you know you have to you have to have the yellow shirt when you interview them later on. Either that that's or true. Get it in the wash. Tonight. I'm gonna have to do a quick oh, yeah, laundry cycle, ready. Rob. That's a good point. <laughs> no, I was very savvy and I pre-ordered a few yellow shirts just oh, so that okay. I've got one on standby uh, yeah, for when this kind of emergency situation comes up. You Steeler fan, you. I hope it's you not... ordered one of those Santa hats. One of those Santa hats too. Because... <laughs> Didn't that look good? Oh man, I'm I might have to order one and wear it on the on the podcast because they're pretty awesome. <laughs> I saw I saw you tweeting that out. So yeah, so uh if folks are interested, if you go to uh the rec.poker slash shop, you can see all sorts of cool merchandise with the logo on it. Um it's not just hats and, and sweatshirts and polos anymore, and there's all sorts of cool stuff out there. I was I I didn't even know they'd added a Santa hat until I saw Ben's tweet about it. But that looks good. I, you know, I'm a big Santa fan, too. So um, I'm a big Christmas fan, I guess I should say. I mean, you know, Santa, too. He's a big part of that. But um, uh, that does feel like a great idea. Good call. Good call, Ben. Um, yeah. And I, I will freely admit, yes, I'm a big Steelers fan. All my company stuff is yellow and black. Uh, I definitely was not by accident. Even the black shirts that I've got, I went with the yellow stitching just because uh, um, because I can't, you, you know. Because that's that's one of the nice things about being on the wrecking crew is you get to make some decisions around here. Is there a leadership crew and you can have whatever freaking colored shirt you like. OK, um, that's oh, that's kind from Joseph in the chat. Uh, all right. So I think I've mentioned before how great our community is, how wonderful the members are that are uh uh, contribute on and off whatever they their areas of expertise. We are, like I say, a largely volunteer-based organization. And there's just fantastic people like Roger Schutte. Uh Roger helps us out with a lot of the uh, post-production aspects of the podcast. And when we have situations like this where the guest can't actually make it live, um, we count on Roger and his technical expertise to make the uh, finished product as seamless as it is so with the wave of his magic wand, um, you're about to hear an interview with some fantastic guest from the poker world. Um, and that's really thanks to Roger Schutte. So, Roger, thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy this interview. Well, I am just so excited to be joined by James Splitsuit Sweeney. If you've been involved in poker for the last uh, 10 or 15 years, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, he's the man behind Red Chip Poker. Um, uh, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, James, I like to start most of these interviews just by asking our guest, for those who might not know you, 
uh, or know the, the 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 journey that you've taken within the poker world. Uh, could you just tell us sort of how, how do you define your own space in the poker world, your world, your own role? Uh, you've been a coach, uh, content producer, a professional player. Um, today, how do you think of yourself in the world of poker? I think of myself more on the coaching side of things. I wish I could play more, but simply life just trying to balance business plus also family plus, you know, making sure I have a little bit of downtime here and there. It's just, it's too difficult to get in like full-time grinding by any stretch, even part-time grinding. So I definitely play as much as I can, but my play is mostly focused around making sure that I'm not missing things that are still happening in the space, right? How is the actual player pool playing? Are there any things that are starting to shift or change? Are people getting closer or further away from GTO? All of these kind of things. So I look at my play time heavily as like research. That way I have more stuff to mm. create good content about and make sure that I'm not, you know, taking my my finger off the pulse by any stretch. That makes a lot of sense. And you got to keep it fresh, right? Uh, you got to stay right. up to date. Um, so you so if our if our listeners don't know your story, um, let's let's go back to the beginning a little bit. And I know you've been on the show before and regular listeners will have heard a little bit of your bio. Um, but it, just give us a little bit of a refresher on. Uh, what it was like for you getting involved in poker and your sort of ascent into the stratosphere that you're in right now in the poker world. So I kind of have the most boring default typical <laughs> story of intro to poker, right? <laughs> I started playing in college. I started playing online. Games were really easy, made a lot of money, continued to play more. Cool. So the big difference is, is that about two years into playing a lot, I started doing a little bit of coaching and I was, I don't know, probably sophomore, junior in college at the time. And I wasn't charging very much at the time. I just really enjoyed teaching and helping other people. And it was mostly people that I met through like two plus two and stuff. And that was all well and good. And then I realized like, I really like teaching. And I'd always kind of thought like, maybe I'll go into teaching. I went to uh, college for business, but I was like, yeah, maybe I'll like transition into business uh, or teaching business at some point later down the line. I just like really enjoy teaching and helping people. So I did more and more coaching. And then all of a sudden my plans from going like full-time grinding after college first we had uiga which wasn't particularly great for that and then mm -hmm. i was like i'm really enjoying the coaching stuff so once i graduated still ended up moving out to vegas still ended up playing a tremendous amount of live but my time was really like half playing and half coaching and then i started doing some writing and then i wrote dynamic full ring poker and that was my first book and then i was like i really like all of this so I just continued kind of half and half. And then eventually coaching started being like 75%. And, you know, during a large chunk of my stuff, it was like 80-20. And now I'd say it's probably a little bit closer to like 90-10 in terms of coaching and playing. But, you know, creating content takes a lot of time. I now have two children and I only had one at the time. So, you know, family gets bigger. Time for play, unfortunately, ends up going down a little bit. But it's it's a totally worthwhile trade. Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, I've been really impressed with your, uh, we'll get back into poker for a second here, but I know you have a great philosophy about balance in your life and taking like rest days and blocking out time, you're going to be productive and making time for other things that are, that are important in your life. Is that, is that something that you had to kind of develop over time? Or have you always had this sense of just there's only so many hours in the week and I have to spend it according to my priorities? 
Oh, interesting question. There's kind of like two parts of it. Uh, when I was in like my late teens, early twenties, I worked seven days a week, 12 hours a day without breaking a sweat. I just, I love, I love working. I love being productive because I love teaching as well and helping people. Like the whole thing was kind of like blended really, really well. Super happy with that. And then eventually I ended up finding script and started reading the Bible. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, we're supposed to be taking rest days. I mean, that's your fourth commandment. So then started doing that and ended up finding that I was actually more productive during the six days that I was working than I was working all seven. I was like, yeah, this is this is totally perfect. So now I'm 100% always have a rest day every single week and life is better for it. The family balance is better for it. But the biggest like mental thing is you just have to work in and understand you have natural limitations, right? You cannot, whatever your goals are, they're probably too lofty. You should keep the goals because you need lofty goals. But by the same token, you need to understand like it's not, you're not likely not going to be able to do everything in a week. So you just need to chunk everything out, get accomplished what you can. Don't beat yourself up too much if you're not able to get everything done and just be realistic. It's kind of like this ebb and flow going back and forth between being like really hard on yourself and then like being like, eh, it's okay. Like, not necessarily take a day off in terms of like take take a second or a third day off per week, but you don't need to beat yourself up for not being as productive as you maybe would like to be. Yeah, well, one thing I really like about um, your attitude is that you just have a realistic sense of what your capacity is in a week. And so just to give to take people behind the curtain a little bit. So you asked me to uh, get involved in some of the beta testing for the uh, range uh, ranges app, the GTO ranges app. And so we were emailing back and forth about that a little bit uh, earlier this year. And um, I got this response to an email, an auto-generated response that was saying, um, hey, you know, despite my best efforts, I'm not really able to respond to emails in a timely fashion, but I'm going to get to your email in the time that I have set aside to go through all my emails every week. And at first I was like, well, that's such a weird email to get. Um, but after after just a few minutes of thinking, I was like, well, he's just setting people's expectations accurately and just telling like, look, this is the time I have available. And, and you know, if you spend uh, 30 seconds responding to an email every time it comes in, you're never going to be able to actually focus on anything else that uh, that you get done. I've actually adopted that myself because I also feel like I'm kind of getting pulled in a bunch of different directions and I want to deliver on everything that I've promised um, to people. And part of that is just making good promises and and like I say, sort of managing expectations. Um, did you find any resistance at that point? Or like, have you found that that's uh, as someone who's kind of trying to get wrap their head around that attitude a little more? Can you save me some speed bumps on, on your journey there? So you're going to piss off about one percent of people. Right. And which, those, which you're going to do no matter what you do in your life, right? Like you're always going to piss off at least one percent of people. Yeah, OK. hundred percent. But you're pissing off the right people. In the sense mm -hmm. of they are not the people like the people that I want to work with are people that are patient, understanding, have some sort of balance in their own life. If you are the kind of person who demands a response in four seconds, you're not going to we're not going to work well together. Like, I'm just mm -hmm. I'm not that, you know, maybe when I was younger, I, I could have been more on demand like that. And, and there were a couple students I was that for. But nowadays, like, it just has to be realistic, just like I don't expect anybody else to you know, be on demand at any given point. Like even when you send a support a email into somebody else's support, like I don't expect a response back within 24 hours. And in fact, by setting that same email auto forwarder you're talking about, once I set that, it actually helped me relax when sending mm. emails and re reaching out to other people. It's just like, no, no, no. If I'm not going to 
expect myself to immediately respond and I want other people to respect that, then inherently I need to respect it in the inverse. And as such, if someone takes three, four days to get back to me, not a problem. As long as, you know, we're able to get done when we need to get done, everything's all good. So it's just kind of like, again, like as you get older, you get more flexible and you get a little bit wiser and <laughs> getting a little bit older. So hopefully I'm getting a little bit wiser and that's, that's, that's where a little wisdom rings in. I love it. Well, you don't have nearly enough gray in that phenomenal beard yet uh, for me to believe it, but I guess we are all are, we are all getting a little older every day. Um, Indeed. Yeah. So, so this is the recreational poker group, the rec poker podcast. We all have day jobs or some of us are lucky enough to be retired. None of us play professionally. Um, in, in my day job, uh, we used to run an on-call service for property management. And I just found out after a little while, just being on call was not a good fit for me. Um, and it caused me anxiety and stress in the rest of my life. And so I adopted the same kind of time blocking where I know there are things that are important to me to accomplish in a week. And I put time aside for each of them in a week. And if, you know, by by setting my schedule according to my capacity as opposed to to my goals, uh, I find that that's made me much happier. And I'm getting more done, even though I'm still not getting everything done that I'd like to get done. That's kind of a, a, something that you strive for, and you just have to be okay with with falling short. Exactly right. I mean, and it's 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 something that you're going to ebb and flow with, like throughout your entire life. I think because, like you mm-hmm. said, like diff- as you get older, like, there are different seasons and in terms of like how much time is pressing on you right that moment. So like there are things like my to-do list on an average day has probably 10 things on it. And for an average week is what about 60 things, give or take. And there are days when that drives me nuts. Cause I accomplish like three of those things. And I'm like, well, right. it's just, it's literally all I could do. And I could beat myself up for not getting the other seven accomplished or next week. Maybe I'll say, okay, tops. I'm going to set myself three per day. And then I'll have, you know, a side chunk of to-do list if there is time for it. And, you know, you, you have and flow through that. And depending on like, if you need a kick in the ass or you need a little reprieve, it's, you're always going back and forth in that. Some people get too, I think, static in one direction. And it's, you know, whenever you get too static, I think life just gets really, really rough on you. Yeah, I think that's true. All right, well, let's uh, save our audience and go back into the poker talk a little bit here. Um, so uh, I think the first time that you and I interacted was a little over 10 years ago um, when I was setting up Poker Tracker 4 for the very first time. And uh, I, th- my friends make fun of me by calling me manual boy because I like to like really get into the guts of things and understand how they're supposed to work before I start using them. Um, and so I was watching uh, some YouTube videos of yours about setting up poker tracker and, you know, configuring certain stats and that kind of thing. And then I was also watching the training videos within poker tracker and the voice sounded really familiar. And I remember tweeting at you. And say like, James, are you the voice of Poker Tracker? Like, is there anything in this poker world that you have not done? And you said like, yeah, yeah. Um, and it turns out that you were actually pretty involved in, in their uh, testing and documentation as well. So can you just tell me a little bit about um, what that experience was like and sort of um, what what that must have obviously given you a great facility with the program, um, something that, I'm, that I know you've leaned on uh, a lot since then. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun being able to work closely with Poker Tracker 4 in earlier and different stages of their beta testing. So I was I have always been a Poker Tracker user. I use Holdem Manager a little bit, but I was like, Poker Tracker is always much, much cleaner in, in my opinion. I've always liked the speed a little bit better as well. And I just got really, really used to Poker Tracker. So being involved with that early was great. I actually I lived in Vegas at the time, as did 
I'm not sure if I should name his name, but a guy who was working very high up at Poker Tracker. And <laughs> yeah. I was able to go over to his place quite a few times and we're actually able to bounce ideas. And he was able to show me some of the stuff they were working on. I'm like, this is great. And being able to be a part of the documentation process was, mm. you know, you think about being part of that and it's like, well, that sounds a little bit boring. And for a lot of players and a lot of people, I think it would be, but I really enjoyed kind of being able to get into the nitty gritty. And again, it was a way to help people because whenever you have something like Poker Tracker 4, which is just such like an expansive, expansive tool, mm-hmm. you have to have good documentation. Like you just absolutely have to. So it was really challenging in the sense of, okay, how the heck do I teach someone how to do this? Well, also it's at the same time, I'm trying to teach someone how to do something technically. How much like poker strategy do I put into it? If mm. any, right. So it's, it's like this weird balance. And I, I really kind of enjoyed the whole process. I think it was maybe a few months, maybe a little bit more than that worth of time. It's been a while, but I, I really enjoyed it and being able to work closely meant I got to have some input, especially on some of the things that I really like, like player pool analysis and stuff like that. It's like, I really enjoyed being a part of all that and being able to test some of those tools before anyone else was, was actually pretty cool. I, I, spent a while but i think i did a maybe it was like 2012 2013 um i released an article essentially comparing overall aggression and general stats from like a two-year period to the next two-year period and i was able to do that kind of stuff with poker tracker 4 whereas i mm. could have never ever done that before so that that kind of stuff like i don't know it's right up my alley it's super nerdy and super statty and i love that kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad you mentioned a uh, player pool analysis because um, I work with a lot of recreational players who are getting to know Poker Tracker and, you know, it's got a ton of very intuitive uh, features and filters and re- and reports and graphs and that kind of thing. There's just a million ways to take their preset settings to to carve up the data and get some insights. Um, I think it's it's a little harder for people to understand how to set up player pool analysis or really what how to query the data even um, for that. Can you kind of tell us a few ways that you might benefit from um, analyzing player pool analysis and then also a few ways that you might set set up your poker tracker in order to really mine the data effectively in that way? If you're looking for pretty much the best example and how to for player pool analysis, there's a series by Jones in pro over on Redshift that I would highly, highly suggest player pool mm-hmm. analysis. It's an, inc- it's self-named. It's incredibly, incredibly good. Um, I don't believe he uses poker tracker for, I think he mostly uses hand to note, but incredibly, incredibly solid. Now for poker tracker Four specifically, the thing I actually had to pull poker tracker up just to make sure I'm using all the right naming, but if you go <laughs> over yeah. to the uh, stats tab, and then switch that over to the report. And instead of overview or summary, go over to the Hold'em hand range visualizer. Yes. This is one of the things that I love the most, right? Because then you're able to see, okay, this is on average what people are doing. And because you can set it up for a lot of different situations. You can say, okay, if there's a uh, limp behind, like what is the average limp behind range? What does the average three bet range look like? What does the average three bet range look like on the button versus and under the gun open? And being able to do that and analyzing the player pool at large instead of like singular players is hyper, hyper valuable. Doing it to a singular player, especially a couple that you play against regularly and you have mm-hmm. decent size sample sizes, invaluable. Absolutely value. If you have 5,000 hands, 10,000 hands against a single opponent because, you you know, you guys are regs, you bang around in the same player pool a lot. It's absolutely invaluable. Spend an hour, hack through it, and you'll find so much, so much good stuff. And the coolest thing is you can do it not only for how they 
say three bet on the button overall, but you can also say, how do they three bet on the button against you specifically? And mm-hmm. if you can find like massive divergences, that is super, super good information, right? If they are normally a 4% three better, but against you on the button specifically, they're like seven and a half percent. It's like, whoa, this dude's going to get four bet like hell for the next month. Like good luck him, <laughs> right? Cause he's, he's going to adjust so much slower than you do. Right. And just cause like, no, like, very, very few people do this kind of analysis and most people don't have the database size for it. So I can't blame them. It's tricky, but this is the kind of stuff that you can go in there and really find some cool things, especially if you're trying to look for like just general information, like what's the average RFI from early position in my game. And then what is that for regs versus what is that for players that have very little sample size? That's huge. Absolutely huge. Yeah, and I think I used to play a lot of cash online, and so I would have some players where I had thousands and thousands of hands on them. And you can you can really get some exploitative uh, tendencies on players if you have that kind of data set. Um, so if if folks are let's say folks are uh, listening at home and they've got Poker Tracker up, uh, this will be the last Poker Tracker question. Don't worry. Um, uh, how, how do you if you're in the Hold'em Hand Range Visualizer, which is a phenomenal tool, um, how do you actually group? the the different players into those uh into those groups that you've described like usually you have to sort of select an active player and uh and work with them as an individual how do you sort of consolidate them into groups or or into a player pool like that so there's a couple of different ways i mean a lot of players will just use reports here instead of doing this method which is totally fine because then you can just sort and say okay only show players that have at least 10,000 hands or or whatever The other way is if you want to go a little bit more advanced is to set up aliases and you can Mm -hmm. alias together a subset of let's just say the 10 regs you play against the most in your game, right? And maybe they're a fairly representative sample set of regs overall in your game, right? Similar VPIP, similar PFR, similar prebats, et cetera. So you can throw all of them into an alias and then you can choose them as the active player and then you can do this exact kind of analysis. So if you maybe only have uh, six, seven hundred hands on a particular reg, but you have six or seven hundred hands across ten different regs, that gives you a workable sample size if you lump all ten into an alias. Just make sure you're not choosing like a reg, like half the regs are tags and half the regs are lags, because then you're going to have very, very skewed data. Right. Yeah. So the alias program is a great way to uh, to do that. That's that's fantastic. All right. Thanks, James. Um, no problem. So. Uh, Red Chip Poker. Um, Red Chip's one of our learning partners. So every month, uh, Rec Poker Premium members get to engage with sort of a, a clip of your strategy segments. And often it's something that we discuss in the forums. Um, it's always something that impacts our own learning material that we produce here every month. And it's a phenomenal, not only uh, ongoing material, but the archive by this point is is extremely strong. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how Red Chip poker came to be and um and sort of uh what who, who's involved with it these days and how do you keep creating uh, great content over such a long period of time appreciate it so red chip was an interesting beginning i had actually have you ever gone to the wednesday discussion group in vegas i haven't no i'm not in vegas nearly often enough okay 
Okay, so there's a, and I don't even know if they still run it on Wednesdays. I'm pretty sure they still meet, but it's the Wednesday Poker Discussion Group. It's largely a bunch of kind of local recs, and a lot of them are, are very serious, and some of them are just a little bit more rec, but there, there's a very, very interesting spread of opinions and ideas there. And I had been told by one of my friends that Doug Hole, who had recently written uh, Poker Plays You Can Use, was going to be presenting there. I'm like, okay, I'll pop in. It wasn't popping in all that often, maybe like, I don't know, once every six months, give or take. So I decided to pop in for that. And he gave his talk and I'm like, hmm, interesting. Some of the things I disagreed with, but I talked to him about that. He's like, yeah, let's maybe go have a meal and we'll chat through some of those thoughts and ideas. Cool. So I ended up going to have a meal, really, really interesting meal. And we're like, maybe a training site could work. Like, I don't know, you're interested in making content. I'm interested in making content. Like, I don't know. I, I was doing split suit at the time and that was all well and good. I was doing poker bank as well, but I, I kind of had an inkling like there is more opportunity out there. And he's like, well, actually I have a meeting with Ed Miller in like a week mm. or two. Maybe we should all three get together and chit chat about it. So we sat down and had like an hour long conversation. Redship was born out of that. And Redship, I think we, oof, what we wrote our first book within like three or four months from that point on. And then the, like the traditional video library stuff came, I don't know, like a month or two after that. So it was really, really quick. And that was great. And the, the you know, things have ebbed and flowed in terms of different coaches, you know, coming in. And now it's not as much in terms of like the adding to the pro side of things every single month. Like it's not like, oh, we're going to release an extra 20 videos per month anymore. Right. It's really focused on quality, making sure the organization is really solid, making sure the core is extremely solid, and constantly adding other things to pro to make that value add, especially things like the uh, the app. So the GTO Poker Range app that was a big one and still running lots of different gto solves we have a couple different live solves that are oriented around straddles which are mm. kind of going to be world first mm-hmm. and those are the kind of things that we're doing to add a tremendous amount of value to kind of stack on top of the existing pro library if that makes sense yeah yeah that's awesome um you guys have come so far with that and you put out great stuff and i'll just tell folks if you're interested in learning more about that head over to rec.poker resources or head out to our shop um, we're happy to be uh, a partner with Red Chip Poker, and we love sending people their way. Um, it's a red chip a week, right? Five bucks a week, twenty bucks a month. It's uh, it's a great way to uh, get some accessible uh, poker knowledge, and they really treat you well there. Um, and that's kind of turned into, like you say, uh, there there uh, you've written some books. There's uh, the Red Chip Poker podcast. Um, you've got the GTO Ranges app uh, now, which I really enjoyed. It's really intuitive. I like that you can kind of dial it up and down and set it for different kind of parameters and different kind of villain types. Um, why don't we just mention, so can, can folks just find the that in the App Store? Yep, just search for GTO Ranges or GTO Poker Ranges. It should pop right up. Okay, awesome. I, I do think that's a great uh, uh, tool for people that are trying to uh, visualize ranges. And it's got cash and tournaments and a few different variations there. So uh, I do encourage people to check that out. Um, all right. Well, well, I guess am I missing anything in your prolific uh, creation of material in the poker world? Like, uh, I know you're. I wouldn't surprise me if you had a few more projects up your sleeve. You're such a busy guy. I appreciate that. Uh, it, it's been a lot, you know, between the, the the workbooks that have come out over the last few years, 
the YouTube channel, which has been really, really solid since I think like 2014, we started that. That's over at the Poker Bank. It's just, it's been everything and anything. And, uh, you know, as always, got a couple extra projects up my sleeve and all things that'll pop off in 2023. And we'll have some fun, uh, fun from there. And I'm always, <laughs> I'm always looking for new projects too. So anything to add more stuff to my to-do list, I'm happy with. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I promised our audience that we'd talk about uh, playing against limpers. That is the theme of the month this month. So um, obviously for recreational players, we're going to be playing games where limping is fairly prevalent. Um, it's not. And I, I, I think, you know, we like these kind of general rules like never open limp or anytime someone limps and raise, you know, three big blinds plus the number of limpers. Um, I think that's a good way to sort of get people started thinking about limping, but I think we all know that there's, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, can we start with some kind of general rules? Like, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how you approach playing against limpers? And is there, are there like certain classes of hands that you feel like are mandatory isolation raises or certain other types of hands that are mandatory limp behinds and what differentiates them? Great question. So in terms of hands that are default limp behinds, those are usually like your set mines with pocket pairs that aren't worth a raise, like sixes and lower, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And usually your weaker suited connectors that if you raise and it ends up going three or four away, like you're not incredibly stoked about it. But shy of that, most other hands are very serious isolation candidates as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, you mentioned that raise size earlier, and I don't know if you pulled it out or that's the, the exact methodology and, and formula you use, but like 3x plus one per limper is very, very standard. But I'd suggest most players start thinking about making this much larger. Mm. The issue is that they run themselves into situations where they try to ISO even just against a single limper. And they get called like a tremendous amount of the time. And they're like, oh, what the heck do I do now? It's like, well, okay, what if you had gone bigger in the first place? And that mm -hmm. should always be your first off-table conversation. What if I had gone bigger? You could also ask the question, and you should, what would happen if I go smaller? But oftentimes in this exact situation, facing one or maybe two limps, if you go smaller, you know you're going multi-way pretty much every single time because the same person who's going to open limp is the same person who's probably more likely to limp call. Yeah. So why give them the price to do so if you have the opportunity to go larger and get them to fold out all of their equity prefop? And a lot of players will be like, well, who cares, right? If Let's just say you have a successful ISO, you raise the limper folds, everyone else folds. You pick up two and a half big ones. Who cares, right? You're not writing home about that. You're not like throwing a <laughs> throwing a party over that. However, <laughs> let's just say you're playing live, right? A good win rate playing live is like 10 BB per hundred. I'm sorry, 10 BB per hour, not per hundred. Yep. So if that's the case and you're able to print off an extra one or two pots like this per hour, I mean, you're talking about like half of your win rate paid for without having to do anything, right? You're just choosing what? An extra two or three big blinds preflop? Like free money. So I know it's it's not the sexiest thing in the world to ISO large and pick up the pot uncontested preflop, but like, my goodness, it's free cash. Enjoy it. So, you know, as a default, I'd say something like 5X plus 1X per limper mm -hmm. is usually going to be a little bit better. Or sorry, 5X plus one big blind per limper is usually going to be a little bit better. Yeah. And, and I know um, you specialize in uh, cash play and the sizings tend to go up in cash. Uh, stacks are deeper. People can reload easily, so the fold equity doesn't quite track as it does 
um, in tournaments where everyone's stack is a little shorter and, and, and stack preservation is more of a priority. So we, we do talk about this a lot. We talk about sort of finding the pain point, the pain threshold for the table, um, not only with raising over limpers, but with three betting as well. If you get a, a table where people are inclined to call um, which limpers are because they've already painted themselves as being this sort of wide and passive player, um, we have to make them do something that they're uncomfortable doing, and that's going to be accomplished through our sizing. So if we have to size, like, if we have to size up and up and up, and people are still calling, we're still getting like four callers, and we're going post flop in all these multi way spots. Is there is there a size that's like crazy high? Because like I've been in situations where it's like, well, you should just be raising to fifteen big blinds there because they're calling at twelve big blinds, and people are like, but I, I don't have a fifteen big blind hand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so neither, do they. <laughs> neither do they great point um is there is there is the ceiling unlimited on that or is there just a point and, and i guess my other question is um do you then have to also narrow the range of hands that you're raising over limpers if if you have to go to that high size in order to actually achieve the goal which is mostly getting heads up or, or against one other player so let, let's let's knock that out because that's a really really good question, and it's funny you sniffed it out. Fifteen is like <laughs> exactly right. Like mm. that's the exact cusp where it's like eh, if I have to raise to twenty bigs against one or two limpers, like what game am I in? Don't get me wrong. I've played I've played in that game. It's a great game. It's a great boring game. As hell. It's <laughs> yeah. boring as hell because like you know you, you lose all preflop fold equity, so you're in a situation where it's like all right, well you're just gonna have to play a little bit tighter because if you don't have the preflop fold equity, you can't really f around all that much. Yeah. So for whatever that's worth. So if it starts getting to the point where I have to surpass 15 big blinds, and I'm like, I'm pretty convinced I have to in order to have any chance of this going heads up or no way, it's it's probably not going to be a game where I'm going to be doing a tremendous amount of light isoing. However, to your previous question, let's just say we find a game and for whatever reason, we've found 13 is kind of the magic number, 13 big blinds, which is still a stupidly huge isolation. It really risk, is. right? Like yeah, I'm not stoked is. about having to put in 13, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. If you find the number, you don't actually have to then tighten up your range. The whole point of finding the number is so you can actually expand your range because you're taking mm. advantage of the fact that you found this like inversion in their continuance where they're not continuing often enough. And again, you're getting them to fold out 100% of their preflop equity. And I cannot stress that enough. Getting someone to fold all of their preflop equity where you never have a, you, you never have 100% equity edge preflop. doesn't matter if you have aces, right? It doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But if you can get them to fold all of it, especially when you have something stupid like queen 10 off or, you know, nine, seven suited, like who cares? Or, or even ace four off. Like, honestly, who cares? So the whole point of sniffing around and trying to like find this magic number and it's going to vary per table. And then even at specific tables, you might find an average number, but against one specific player at that table, yep. that number is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. and, and this is why like live, live cash dynamics are just so incredibly interesting to me. You just, you're playing around and you're trying to sniff it out and you're trying to figure it out. And if you're in the game where the size you go, let's just say you go 10 big blinds and you're still going four or five way every single time you're just going to have to tighten up. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of wiggle room out of that unless it's incredibly deep. But even if it's incredibly deep, like in a four or five way pot, it's just like you're, you don't have much post flop optionality either. Now, if you could go 10 big blinds and you're getting like heads up pot a good chunk of the time, 
we still have a conversation where we can get really wide and are isolating, but you need some extra info at that point and it can get a little, little wonky. Most people don't have that info, aren't paying attention to it. So, you know, for them, tight is right. But I think a lot of the times if you're, if you're focused and you're really paying attention, you can find the threshold numbers. They're there. And again, they're going to differ a little bit, but they're there. You just got to sniff around for it. So when I talk to some of our members about kind of expanding uh, the, the comfort range of hands that they want to raise over limpers, um, often what I hear is, but then I'm, I'm, I get post-flop in these spots and I don't have as strong a hand and I miss the flop. And now I've inflated this pot and, and now I'm the one that's in this uncomfortable position. And I often I just say, well, that's true, but they're less comfortable than you are because you have uh, you have the uncapped range. You could have all the good hands. They've capped their range by calling. You've got the initiative. Hopefully you're in position. You know, you're you're you you have a lot of the intangible benefits of the hand. You you both don't feel comfortable, but you have a lot going for you that they don't have going for them. Is that an oversimplification um, or or what, what what am I missing when I when I talk to our members about that? A good overall model. I think a lot of players will take the capped and uncapped ranges a little bit incorrectly, and then they start driving like a lot of strategic decisions based upon that, which is good when you're playing against thinking players. But when you're playing against goofballs, like mm. they're not thinking about your range, and as such, capped and uncapped doesn't really matter all that much. So the, all of a sudden, you're going to start having students that are like stressing and focusing on this one aspect and element that actually isn't like coming into factor all that much. So I think for a lot of players, it takes a lot of stress off if they spend a little bit of time in Flopzilla. Don't even pull out a solver. Just pull out Flopzilla and plug in whatever you think some logical like limp call ranges are. And then plug in a couple different board types. Throw in a couple of super low boards. Throw in a couple of like mid boards. Throw in a couple of all high boards. Throw in a couple of high, high, low, high, low, mid, that kind of stuff. And just see how often their range is comfortable. That's it. That's it. See how often it's second pair plus with decent draws. And you do that enough and you're like, oh, it doesn't matter that I have queen 10 and I missed. All that matters is my opponent and are they going to fold and melt away? If yes, cool. If not, maybe it's a small bet here and then a decent sized bet on the follow-up card. Like it's The thing is that people panic because they can't get the immediate fold. The immediate fold was preflop. Sure. That's going to happen sometimes, but like as soon as you're out of like the absolute goofiest of games, like you have to then also be able to say, okay, well, what about the flop C bet? That's why I don't panic about preflop. If they continue, cool. If they fold, cool. If they continue, I'm still way, way, way more competent post flop. I'm still going to be able to sniff out and have some rough idea on how often I can expect folds just because I've done so much of this flopzilla work. And you will too if you just put in a little bit of that time and effort so many people feel uncomfortable because they're focused almost exclusively on their own two cards. Mm. It's the wrong way of thinking about this game. Your opponent also has two cards and is oftentimes going to feel just as uncomfortable, if not more uncomfortable. So as soon as you stop stressing about your own cards, I mean, fuck, if you have to put in like, oops, excuse me. <laughs> That's okay. You're not the first. <laughs> okay. Like if you have to put in like a hundred percent VPIP session at two NL online, just to like break through this nonsense yes, barrier of yes. like, it's about my cards. No, it's not. Play 100% VPIP. It's not about your cards at all. It's just about finding these pain points where you can just apply pressure. And it actually doing a 100% VPIP session, just even do it for like a few hands at, at 2 and L, like, you know, 50 hands, give or take. 
you're going to be thinking about this game so much differently or cover your cards. So that way you don't see it. Like wh- whatever it takes, like just break away from thinking about your cards. Your cards oftentimes don't matter anywhere near as much as you think they do. Just get prepared to think about your opponent, how comfortable they're going to be, how comfortable they're going to be versus different kind of bet sizes, and then rock and roll pull triggers. Like the whole thing is about that. It's not an ego orientation. It's not like, oh, well, you're so much better than them and as such you can bluff anything and you're winning things. Like, no, that's not it either. All we're doing is we're taking a statistical and an analytical approach to what are their ranges, how do their ranges likely hit boards, and how can I apply pressure and pick up easy money with relatively cheap bluffs and then why yeah, not and, I, and how much think, often how much more often can i bluff <laughs> I, I think that's a really good point that that people don't quite credit you know your cards only matter outside of blockers let's say your cards only matter when you go to showdown um the vast majority of poker hands do not get to showdown um someone folds before the end of the hand james i don't know if you have like an estimate of like the, the percentage of poker hands played that get to showdown um, but it's got to be uh, it's got to be a, a pretty small fraction of the overall hands that are played. So generally, um, most of the hands are going to be played in a, in a way that where where only one player doesn't fold. And so that literally the cards that you're holding do not matter. They are irrelevant to the outcome of that hand. And so when James is talking about playing like a 100 percent VPIP session or covering your cards and just having to play your uh, the range uh, that you might take that action with. Obviously, he's not saying go do that competitively or full time or anything like that, but take a, a training session and just force yourself to play every hand and see what it's like in that dynamic, um, playing your range and not the hands that you have in front of you, the cards that you have in front of you. Um, that kind of fluency in the language of poker and the flow of poker, um, fi- sensing weakness in your opponents and forcing them to fold. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of the art of poker, right? Like winning when you don't have the best hand. Because you typically won't. You're, I mean, how often do you flop a strong hand? Just right. about never. Yep. Right? And that's not because anyone's better or worse than anyone else. That's just simply how the cards roll out. So it's like, okay, you're rarely going to hit. They're rarely going to hit. So can you get them to fold when they rarely hit? And are they likely not applying enough pressure when you don't hit? And if so, you win. Like, you know, there'll be a bunch of variants in the middle of it, but sure. fire away. <laughs> Well, you're a goldmine, James. I got a few more questions and then we'll wrap this up. Um, so the, the one thing that I thought was really uh, interesting that we're going to tease out here a bit is that, you know, people worry, oh, I make this big raise and they don't fold. And now I have to go play post, uh, play poker post flop. But folks, like you win money when your opponents call on one street and then fold on future streets. Like it's actually a source of great value to you if they call you pre flop and then one out of six times they hit the flop, one out of seven times, the other five out of six or six out of seven times, that you get those chips that they called with you pre-flop. So that like if you're telling me that you're upset because you didn't pick up the two and a half big blinds that were in the pot uh pre-flop, think about the fact that you could be picking up, you know, a 10 big blind uh pot five out of six times. And then the one out of six times that they actually do flop a hand, you don't have you don't get to make money on that one, but you're really in the long run um uh, uh profiting a lot more uh from that kind of a circumstance is that is that true and if that does follow then sort of h- how important is that sense of kind of building a pot early and then recognizing when you're able to take it away on future streets so there's a, a couple different points there and my ADD is going to kick in so I'm going to handle one and hope that I can remember the other <laughs> so good. 
when it comes to the preflop decision, it's largely about can I get a zero to one way pot going post flop or not? Okay. If you're talking about oh heads up pot, your opponent's going to miss usually about two thirds ish of the time. Depends on how strong their range are, but range is. But typically around there is is a default average. Depends exactly on board texture, but you get the idea. So in a heads up pot, cool. You know, you fire and you don't fire all that much and you're going to pick up a you know, pretty decent spread on your EV a good chunk of the time. That's all well and good. Now, if there are two players and they're both hitting about two thirds of the time, well, now all of a sudden it's a lot tougher. So the orientation really needs to be focused on getting no callers prefop or a single caller prefop. If you can't do that for the size you're thinking, then again, what happens if you ratchet that size up? Where can you eventually get a heads up orientation or again, a no way orientation? If you can't get that, then you have to go back to cards because now all of a sudden your cards matter because you're not going to have the same fold equity ability. So I know that seems to kind of fly contradictory to what we just talked about. What we just talked about were heads up pots where we're getting an above average number of folds, again, on average. But as soon as we have two, three, four opponents in a pot with us, it's so much more difficult. I mean, just in general, like run run the numbers a little bit, play a little bit with a multi-way spreadsheet. Like it's 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 not what you think it is. So you can hope for it, but you're not going to get it. So the bluffing inherently has to go down, and if the bluffing post-flop has to go down, then inherently your air combos pre-flop should also go down just to make sure you're salvaged. That's kind of the way what I would think about it. So if I can't get the heads-up orientation or the no-way orientation pre-flop, that's when I start throwing more of my eh. I want to play this hand pre-flop, but I don't think I can find the size or find the action that's going to create the situation that's best for me, now all of a sudden my limp behind range becomes much, much, much wider. And this mm. is before we start talking about like trickier stuff, like trying to induce the large ISO from the reg behind you or anything like that. Like we're just talking like general basic dynamic. That's the way that I would think about it. And I, I hope that's a, a model that's understandable, but I think that's yeah. that's really the most important thing. And even, okay, so part two of that, the ADD is kicking back in. We're good. Ah, all right. right. So... You find the, the heads-up situation. Get the heads-up situation. And your your focus show is be, can I get the immediate folds prefub? If I can't, can I get some a decent chunk of folds on a C-bet? Good chunk of the time. If you ask, cool. Also, ask yourself the follow-up question. Can I double barrel this? Can I mm-hmm. fire turns and my opponent's going to melt a lot of the time? Let's just say your opponent, and this is kind of the value of making these really small, you know, down C-bets, because let's just say you fire it for like 20% pot and your opponent calls. Well, you know, your opponent's looking at this board. It has a flush draw on it. They're going to play their hand, their strong hands aggressively because they're scared of the flush draw because, LOL, all low live cash game players are petrified of any flush draw that exists. (laughs) So right right, they automatically like take some of their super strong hands out of their check call range on the flop. And it's like, okay, well, if I barrel pretty much all turn cards, are they going to melt? And again, like thinking about some different size options. And I know it takes a lot of effort and work and you're kind of like forward thinking through the deck and you're like, okay, well, how often can I get a turn card? that's like really good for the barrel. A lot of this is the off table work. That's what my workbooks are for is like for literally thinking through this kind of stuff and developing that objective statistical, statistical understanding of these spots. But if you put in the time and effort, I mean, it gets so much easier. Like your whole orientation is just, can I get folds? Just make the assumption that you're never going to hit anything. 
That, that's, right. where, that's where people go wrong. They make, they're like, okay, like I'm going to hit this flop like some chunk of the time. Who cares? Just, just assume that you're going to miss the flop. Assume you're never going to hit anything. Assume all your draws are going to whiff. All you're caring about is can my opponent fold or can I generate like copious amounts of like implied odds because my opponent is just such a goofball. There, there are two <laughs> different thought processes in the way you're formulating your post-flop line and a little bit of your pre-flop range, but largely that's the way that I'm thinking about it. And it's fairly simplified. You know, it takes a lot of work to get these kind of, to get your brain processing through this stuff more automatically and to get the actual data set in your head. But once you have it, I mean, you literally, you use it for life. And especially if you mostly play a lot of one, two, or you don't really have much aim in terms of like getting into much higher limits. You just kind of want to like make a profitable amount of money and you don't really want to get into high stakes. Like you're literally going to use this forever. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. just always going to be there. So it's worth putting the time and effort into a little bit of off table work now, rather than, you know, just saying, oh, it's scary. It is, but you'll get there if you put in the work. Yeah. And if you want certainty, take up chess. You know, this this might not be the game. This is a game of incomplete information and uh, you don't get to be certain or right or even know if you made the right decision all the time. So that's uh, part of what makes poker great, in my opinion. Um, okay. So let's give our let's give our listeners just to close things out. Let's give our listeners um, uh, some sort of concrete examples that is easy for them to wrap their head around. So uh, people are limping in front of us. We're obviously we're raising over them with our very strong hands like ace king and pocket queens and stuff like that. We're limping behind with hands like pocket four, six, seven suited, stuff like that. What are some of the hands that against certain players we might choose to raise over, but on other players we might choose to limp behind or even fold? Can you give us a couple examples of some of those um, cusp hands? I think people people have trouble with sort of when do I stop raising over limpers? That's, that's I think, what I really want to tease out of that uh, big poker brain for us today, James. So it's tough to say. So again, let's not look for hard and fast rules. Let's try to look for the overall model. Uh, you're right on track with that. So the cusp hands are usually going to be like your kind of offsuit, weaker Broadway stuff, like your King Jack off, your King 10 off, your Ace 10 offsuit, that kind of stuff. It's kind of like up in the upper left-hand corner, but the the offsuit weaker stuff. That stuff and also some of like the Ace deuce to Ace 5 suited or really any Ace X suited hand and your topper side suited connectors, like your Jack 10 suited, your 9 10 suited, etc. A lot of the times those are going to be your cusps. Everything else is going to be pretty much very easy raise, like, you know, your eights plus kind of stuff and your other lower stuff is your default limp behind. And also keep in mind, like a lot of people panic. They're like, oh, my limping range is so face up. My limp behind range is so face up. It's like, okay, let's just say that another reg is behind you and has identified your incredibly face up range where you limp behind three limpers with six, seven suited. What's he going to do? He's in the same damn predicament you were in where you decided this is a better spot to limp behind than raise. So it's like, don't panic about that. A lot of players will. And it's just, it's not worth the time and effort again at the the average stakes that people play at. And then the rest of the stuff is pretty much all optionals. And that's going to be pretty much all of your ASX hands, including like ace deuce offsuit, ace nine offsuit, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of that is just going to be based upon are my opponents likely to fold again? Can I get that heads up to zero way orientation? If yes, all of the optionals just get thrown right into the raise, like all of them. And for live players, especially, I know it sucks because you're getting sucked low volume per hour. You just want to play a damn pot because you didn't come here to fold. <laughs> but at the same token, don't get nuts here. It's so easy to get yourself into it. Oh, I'm just going to limp behind because it's cheap. And I want to see a flop because I haven't played a hand in 15 minutes. Well, 
15 minutes in live is mm-hmm. six hands, seven hands. Like who cares that you haven't seen a hand in 15 minutes. It doesn't mean anything. Focus on putting yourself in good spots and constantly limping behind with the crap, even like King eight suited and stuff like that. Like, don't get me wrong. I do it too, but I do it in spots where I'm like, all right, there's such a fishy player involved. I know the raise just is not going to accomplish what I needed to accomplish. I need to get involved with this fishy opponent. I'm on the cutoff. So I don't have to worry about, you know, being out of position, a tremendous amount. Those are the things I'm thinking about. A lot of your limp behind should really be cut off and button. Like Mm. if you constantly find yourself limping behind from the hijack or the low jack, like you're probably in a great game. Don't get me wrong, but it's not the spot to be throwing in a tremendous amount of limp behinds. Does that make sense? Totally. Okay. Um, So the last, the last (laughs) question I have here is about uh, balance. And I think a lot of recreational players, we listen to the training, we go to the sessions, we get coaching, we read the books, we listen to the podcasts and we kind of develop this, respect and admiration for balance and for being able to you know show up with with uh bluffs and value and this sort of thing um against thinking players that's great because you want to be it's kind of defense is what you're doing a lot of limping players are not particularly studied or thoughtful um and so it how important is balance when we're playing against those that set of players and should we just be trying to take a more exploitative line, period? Should always be looking to take the exploitative line. Because the exploitative line inherently means you have some information that you can't exploit, meaning that it's better to deviate from GTO. The interesting thing about limping and limping behind is that most people haven't done any solver work with it. Like mm. they don't even bake it into the game tree. The default assumption is, well, there's nothing that the solver would like open limping or limping behind as a default, that kind of thing. We have done some modular work with this, not for complete solves for it, but like specific situations given like a specific hard-coded open limping range. Okay, what does the solver like limping behind with versus isolating? We have done some modular work with that that we might release at some point. We're still kind of cracking Mm -hmm. through some of that data. Mm -hmm. But you got to remember, like they're really like, we're actually way outside of GTO solves at this point. Cause pretty much no one is looking for limping, open limping, limping behind in their overall prefab solving trees. So it's interesting. Cause then we don't have like this GTO thing that we have to harp on and focus on, but you would only use the GTO stuff. If you're in a game where you're playing against much, much better players and everyone's kind of oriented towards the GTO solution, in whatever capacity you're not playing that game. You're not. First and foremost, no. humans can't play perfect GTO. So <laughs> you can wipe that right out of your brain altogether. And then that's that's a good thing to know. I mean, most people panic about that. Like, oh, like I need to play GTO. Based upon what? Like, it's good to understand GTO, but it's uh, the same token. Like your whole orientation, especially when you're focused on playing like smaller live cash games or smaller online cash games or even smaller tournaments, not GTO. Your opponents are all so horrifically off of the GTO pre-flop ranges and post-flop ranges, et cetera, and overall frequencies, defense frequencies, et cetera. Like they're so far away from that. You're just an exploitative land. So let's just focus on exploitative land. If you have information you can exploit, rock and roll. Who cares if you're balanced? Does your opponent, is your opponent thinking like that? Almost certainly not because they're playing the same game you are. Are you perfectly balanced? Most certainly not. Do you even know what perfect balance is in all situations? Of course you don't. And that's, <laughs> no. not, a, that's not an insult. That's just, <laughs> we're humans. Like we don't have GTO capacity in our brain. Like that would be perfect balance and orientation. So I don't know. That's kind of like the overall way that I think about it is like, I don't care about being balanced. Occasionally I'll play against a reg 
who I know is thinking of that level, especially at like one, two, like it's going to be few and far between. Even when you find a reg, you're like, oh man, he's, he's a thinking player. He's trying just because he's trying. doesn't mean you got to worry that much about balance. Honestly, just mean he's focused a little bit more on his cards and maybe thinking about what you have, which actually might give you more bluffing opportunities in the exploitative sense because he's going to overfold those exact spots. So again, don't panic about it. There's no, you don't have to worry about the balanced range here, not in the isolation sense, not in the limp behind sense. You don't have to worry about it. And you don't want to go ego either. It's not, oh, well, Mm. because I'm here, I'm going to win all pots that I play. That's not it either. It's (laughs) thinking about, again, the mistakes they're likely to make. Where are they going to have those pressure points where you can just attack with aggression and they're going to overfold? That's that's the focus. That's the focus. I love that. Um, Yeah. And, you know, poker is not about winning every hand. It's about winning the most chips, right? And that means that sometimes you have to choose not to invest in winning a hand. Um, because that's not exactly your job. And, uh, you know, we're not here to play a hand. We're here to play a game. And sometimes playing the game best means, you know, you just have to take some decisions that you might not like with the actual hand that's in front of you that time. And and, and that's okay. Um, so James, this has been a phenomenal hour. Uh, we've kept you longer than I was expecting, but it was just, I could not resist teasing more of this fantastic poker knowledge out of that, uh, that brain of yours. Um, where can where do you like people to reach you if uh, if they're looking to reach out and connect and if people want to support what you're doing what's your preferred way for them to do that much appreciated and again thank you so much for for having me i really enjoyed it if you're looking to keep up to date i would definitely suggest the discord redshippoker.com slash discord it's totally free rocket rolls over four thousand people in there talking poker daily lots of hands lots of questions and i'm in there probably too often, but if you're looking, if you're looking for me, then that's the, that's the good place to start. And then in terms of where to find good stuff, um, either redshiftpoker.com or splitsuit.com would be for pretty much all of my workbooks and other poker books and all that kind of fun stuff. So pretty much one of those two spots, you're fine what you need. Right on. Well, thank you again, James. And uh, as we're getting into December here, I just want to wish you a happy holiday and a great start to 2023 when it comes. I hope we get a chance to talk again uh, real soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me and let's have a good 2023. Well, boy, that was a great one. I just love talking to these uh, fantastic folks in the poker world. Um, too bad that we couldn't do that live on the air, but um, I, I'm sure we'll have them back at some point soon. And our YouTube uh, folks can enter their questions and chat with uh, with that particular guest in real time like they always can on Monday nights at 730 Eastern. Yeah, Chris. I, I just can't help but notice how taken and captivated the wrecking crew just was taken by that whole interview it just said everyone everyone on sky just i couldn't stop looking at all the all the faces just sort of like taking in the knowledge it was great yeah the whole thing was a surprise to me you know i just (laughs) totally unexpected i couldn't believe when they leaked the lottery numbers for for this week i thought that was like really really impressive very (laughs) prescient Well, I just like the insight that he provided on, uh, you know, playing against limpers. I mean, mm. it was it was amazing because, you know, we all do it and we all have to do it because there's in our games, there's so many limpers. So just hearing how, you know, another another approach, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we'll all be able to execute some of the tips that we learned today, whether it was hands that make good candidates to raise over limpers um, hands that are good to limp uh, behind other limpers, maybe how to respond to situations where 
they limp and you raise and then they back raise and like what kind of what kind of range is doing that how, how do we play these post flop you know I, I, we covered a lot of ground in that interview i can't wait to see how it all turns out i'm really excited for that um and we're getting some fun comments here in the, in the youtube chat josh campbell says another impressive guest jim you always line up the best ones we got a, a thumbs up from dave uh joseph Kula says my interpretive dance was great yeah i really worked on that thank you for noticing that joe um because that doesn't just happen uh yeah dark angel 791 donna you tell him jim that's right i'm out there I, i'm doing i'm doing the work i'm doing the work donna i'm thinking of you here um so okay well now that we've got the interview out of the way and i think it maybe was one of our best um we should probably start talking about uh the home game results that are coming up and there's actually uh well i'll let i'll let john get into it and then i can interrupt him later that's better than me kind of setting him up so john why don't you tell us what's going on in home game land I will certainly do that. Of course, I forgot to actually bring up the page, so I'm just going <laughs> to ramble on here a little bit. Um, so first, I wanted to uh, point out that we're going to have a couple of changes in the home game next year. Due to popular demand, that means at least one person requested this <laughs> from Jim, uh, we are going to be the POY events are going to be taking the top 10 scores. So if you miss two events, you are not penalized for that. Um, so uh, you still have to do well. And obviously playing all 12 gets you a better chance to win. But your bottom two scores will be – well, let me rephrase that because you might not have 12 scores. Your top 10 scores will be taken into account. And if you play more than that, your bottom ones will be thrown away. So in our – player of the year races we play 12 tournaments a year so if you play all 12 10 of those scores would count towards the player of the year race and i want to give a shout out to uh, marcel and uh, uh eric and charles who were all uh instrumental in sort of bringing this to my attention as an idea because sometimes people do miss one you miss one month you know the first wednesday of a month and now all of a sudden you're kind of out of the uh, out of the running for the player of the year race. So starting in 2023, even if you're playing the main event 1C and it happens to be on um, or 1D, it happens to be on the first Wednesday of July. That doesn't mean that you're out of the running for the player of the year race. You'll take your top 10 scores and that gives you a chance to kind of uh, get get all the talented people involved uh, every year. So thank you to everyone, but mostly to John. Uh, for putting all this together and uh, for continuing to excel um, in our as our home games uh, director. So, but so John, that's just one uh, tweak that's coming up. Um, we're also uh, you kind of mentioned last week and the uh, the week before, I think that we're having a silver pin invitational, the Go for the Gold uh, tournament series, and um, we were doing a lifetime achievement pin, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. Is there, um, you want to just refresh our guests? Uh, sure. Uh, the We're going to have a Silver Pin Winners event every year. Uh, we think it's going to be probably the third week Wednesday of either April or May. We haven't decided that yet, but that will be decided shortly here. And if you've ever won a Silver Pin, you automatically qualify for that event in perpetuity. And the winner of that event gets a gold pin. 
So we have not given away a gold pin. No one has a gold pin as of yet. So no this one. will be one of the two ways you can earn a gold pin. Then we're also talking about Lifetime Achievement Awards. So for Lifetime Achievement Award, if you win 50 of the well, I guess now we're up to 10 a week, uh, over 500 tournaments a year that we are running here at Rec Poker. Um, but you don't have to win them all in one year. But if you ever win 50 events, then you earn a silver pin as your silver lifetime achievement event. We will also have a gold pin that you can win for some higher number. That higher number is yet to be determined. Will it be 100? Will it be 150? Will it be 200? Will it be 5,000? I don't know just yet, but we're going to figure that out. Um, and uh, I think that was it for those. But then you can join the Poker Stars Rec Poker Home Game Club to compete with ho with Rec Poker members in the toughest online play money games around, and have a chance to win er coveted Rec Poker pins. The first Wednesday of every month is the No Limit Hold'em series with a player of the year points race the second wednesday of each month is a mixed game series with the player of the year points race. every other day we have one or more daily series events and the daily series also has the tournament of champions the following month for the winners of who won any event in the previous month so make sure you update the extra tab of your rec poker profile if you want to have your real name announced when you win in the tournament on the podcast or in the, the uh, site and check out the rep poker website for all of the information on how to join all of the tournaments that are available. Fantastic. And, and so just in case, cause we started this tournament series years ago, it, it's hard to believe years ago, honestly. Um, and we used to talk about it a lot back then, but some of our newer members might just not know that uh, most of the most of the home games that we play are standalone. You can just win that night, and that's all there is to it. But the first Wednesday of every month is the No Limit Hold'em Player of the Year race, and the second Wednesday of every month is the Mixed Games uh, uh, Player of the Year race. And um, we do a practice mixed game on Saturday nights leading up to the next month's mixed game. So whatever, because it's a different mixed game every month. Um, so for the previous month, you can come out and practice in our Saturday night mixed game practice round. And uh, it's at the same time as the No Limit Hold'em uh, Saturday night tournament. And it's a good chance to just kind of try some things, um, get to know the game so that when you come to play on the second Wednesday of the month for the player of the year race, it's not your first time. And you can uh, you can shake off some rust and and sort of explore uh, explore the game with a little practice under your belt. John, we got a couple comments in here. Um, for one, so Evil Roy Slade, our, our man Dave, suggests that the there's a number that we could use for the lifetime achievement gold pin if the lifetime achievement silver pin is 50 maybe 51 what do you think is that uh is that like a i'm not sure if it's i'm not sure if it's quite I, impressive enough i'm pretty sure 51 will not be the number as a matter <laughs> okay. of fact i can pretty much guarantee the lowest possible number it could possibly be would what be 100 but I have a feeling we're going to aim a little higher than that, especially with someone like Evil Roy Slade winning three or four tournaments every week. Mm -hmm. You know, we haven't figured out 
platinum pins or diamond <laughs> pins or anything beyond the gold yet. So, you know, we got to make this something worth winning. That's right. And Dave Westerfield is the 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 one evil Roy Slade here. Um, and he's in the running to be one, one of the first people to win that uh, lifetime achievement at 50s. So nice try. Nice try, Dave. But we're not falling for that. Uh, Josh Campbell says you could do it on the total number of silver pins. That is kind of a cool idea. Um, have a because those silver pins are really hard to get. Um, you can only get them by winning a monthly tournament of champions, in which case you're trying to beat out all the other uh, nightly winners. So there's no stop seats in that tournament or the annual player of the year race itself. Um, so that's uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's not an easy one to do. Well, and actually, he, there are this year in uh, 2020, there will be uh, 14, 50. No, 16 possibilities to win a silver pin. So one is the um, Tournament of Champions every month. So if you win the Tournament of Champions, you earn a silver pin. Now, if you win two Tournament of Champions in a year, you still only get one silver pin. One pin per year per type of win. Yeah. The other win is the, the Player of the Year points race for both the mixed and the no limit hold'em events, but we also have a tournament of champions in both the no limit hold'em series and the um, mixed game series, where the top twenty-four players, so twelve winners plus the next twelve point earners, will be playing in that, and the winner of that also earns a silver pin. So in one year. It would be possible for one person to theoretically win five silver pins in all of those events. And if you happen to also cross that 50 threshold that same year, then you could technically get six silver pins in one year. But that is the absolute maximum you could get within a year. Wow. Yep. That's that's amazing. And and listen, the big dog himself, Steve Fredland, last year – He was not only the player of the year winner in the points race, but he also won the championship in December. Uh, So he is one of those few rare folks that get the more than multiple silver pins in one year. Uh, Just just very impressive. Um, Well, And this year, it looks like Taylor Moss may be in uh, the running to do that. At this moment in time, he is currently leading in both of the player of the year points races, both the Nolan Hold'em and the mixed game. Amazing. Just amazing. I think that's no. why uh, Joe Joe Cool is here in the uh, YouTube chat is suggesting that Taylor should only really get his top four scores and the rest of us can count our top 10. I think that <laughs> is more than fair, uh, Joe. Good idea. Well, even even then, he would be qualified for the uh, Player of the Year race because he won one. Right, so, and and that's all you have to do to to be in it. <laughs> I was thinking, right. John, you were talking about the number of silver pins, but you could do it based on the number of wins that were silver pin available, even though you already won one. That is true. You know what I mean. And mm. it doesn't have to be the physical pin itself. Mm-hmm. It has to be the events that a silver pin is awarded, whether you have one or not already. Or I, I suppose we could do even some type of a hybrid. Like maybe you have to, a silver pin is worth five bronze pins and you have to come up with so many mm-hmm. 
you know, or so many wins or, or something like that. We could, we'll, we'll have to noodle on it. I want it to be achievable, but I want it to be hard. So I want it to be a real accomplishment. I mean, hell, I think 50 wins in this tournament series is one heck of achievement as it is. Yeah. But the gold, the gold's just got to be way up there compared <laughs> to the silver. So we've got some comments. I'm glad uh, Troy Chapman's been able to join us here uh, from Australia. Uh, you can find out more about Troy by going to rec.poker slash Troy Chapman. Um, everyone on the Wrecking Crew has their own Wrecking Crew page, and you can check them all out by going to rec.poker slash crew, like I said earlier. Uh, I think some of our guests got to know Troy and Ben a little uh, last week in the episode that I wasn't able to join us for. That was a lot of fun. I liked being able to hear about that. Um, we're getting some comments here in the YouTube chat again. Philip Razor thanking me for the reminder. God, I knew there was something. I knew there was something important really important that i would that i forgot to do today so that sorry sorry phil but i'm glad you managed to make it here you managed to somehow remember that yes every week we're here on youtube at 7 30 eastern just like every week like i tell you on twitter every week uh but thank you again for uh, your support phil <laughs> uh roger's asking and, oh roger uh so the the one and only graphics uh 16 this is the roger shooty that i was uh, uh shouting out earlier um is actually here in the youtube chat as well wants to know when we're playing for the winners of the player of the year game so in december that is going to be on the third wednesday which is december 21st uh so that'll be at 9 p.m eastern like all the normal home game times and uh uh that'll be on yeah the 21st will be the time for that yeah actually why don't we uh there's a number of special tournaments coming up here in december on december 12th we have our normal tournament of champions for the november winders on december 21st wednesday december 21st is going to be the tournament of champions for the no limit hold'em series on thursday december 26th is going to be the tournament of champions for the mixed game series and then on december 17th is going to be the third heads up event for our daily series right so we have lots of special things going on. Remember, the Heads Up event is at 1 p.m. Central Time on December 17th, and there is no late registration for that. So if you want to play, make sure you get there and register on time. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, John. And I just um, so, yeah, the, the December 7th is the first Wednesday of the month. So that'll be our final No Limit Hold'em uh, monthly series. On the 14th, that's the second Wednesday of the month. That'll be our final uh, mixed game player of the year series. Uh, the next week, the 21st, that'll be our end of year championship. That's for all those winners who have qualified and the points race uh, winners that got there. On Saturday, the 17th, that is our heads up uh, uh, bracket tournament, which is a lot of fun. And the winner wins their way into Marek Madness come the springtime. So that's not something to uh, to miss and then, John, I thought you mentioned Thursday, December 26th, but such a date does not exist. Um, was there a <laughs> was there a different? <laughs> I think it's a Monday. Is it? Yeah, I think it's Monday. Yeah, Monday is the 26th, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, let's make that Thursday, December 28th. Or uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, December. Yeah, I was thinking, okay, so in my mind, somehow I came up with December 25th being a uh, Wednesday, Christmas Day, and ah. I didn't want to hold it on that. 
So uh, I will change that. I probably need to delete and recreate that. Oh no, those haven't been created yet. We're okay. That'll work. And that and is that that's for the mixed player championship? Yes, the, that's the mixed game tournament of champions. Okay. So everyone who has win won a mixed game series event, as well as enough winners to get us up to twenty four players. So the top per, point earners to get us to 24 Fantastic. and we are not doing last year. We did alternates. We are not doing alternates mm. 24 uh, get in. If you can't make it, you can't make it. And then it'll just be a smaller field that plays. I think that's a great way to do it. Um, and and what is the game that we will be playing in the mixed game championship, John, because I know we have a different mixed game every month. Uh, how did you decide on which mixed game we're going to be playing in uh, in that one? We are doing eight game mixed because Fantastic. that rotates through the largest number of games. It gives the biggest variety there. So I think it's for a tournament of champions. It's an appropriate uh, game to play. I love that. And this is actually the first year we're going to be doing this uh, mixed game championship tournament at the end of the year. Um, so I'm excited and I'll just make sure that all those dates are set up properly, um, in the website. And uh, another so thing set. change that has happened is recently I updated the posts. So all of every tournament that is played, there is a corresponding post that goes out with that, that says who all played it, what the running order was, who won the tournament and, it lets you know how many of that t series and type of tournament you have won. In addition on that, now it will also say the total number of wins. So for those that are trying to get the Lifetime Achievement Awards, they'll be able to track more easily how many tournaments I have on record that you've won. If you think that number is incorrect in any way, of course, contact me and I can uh, work on fixing anything I may have entered incorrectly. There's also going to be another page that's going to be coming soon that's going to describe these Lifetime Achievement Awards and that will have the number of wins that everyone has had in the system. So you'll be able to go through, find your username, and see how many tournaments you've won in each of the different series. And if uh, folks are finding this a little overwhelming, I'll just remind you, go to rec.poker slash events. And you can see a list of every upcoming event, or you can go to rec.poker slash events slash month, and you'll just see a nice month view where you can look at everything that's coming up and uh, the nights that it's on. It's a nice, uh, uh, easy, easy uh, visual way to kind of see what's happening. And um, yeah, I'm excited. We're getting some really nice comments in the chat here. Uh, Eric Anderson says, you guys work hard. Thanks for everything. Thanks, Eric. I know you're um, you're a big part of what we do here. You're a prolific poster in the forums and on Discord and an active member in a lot of our uh, conversations. So I really appreciate your insights whenever we get a chance to get into that brain of yours. And um, some really nice comments here um, from Dave and Roger and uh, Donna as well. Um, yeah, Phil. <laughs> yeah, but Phil, that just leaves you a lot of room to improve. You know, just think about how high the ceiling is. When, Remember, uh, podcast listeners cannot read the chat. Yes, okay, good <laughs> point. Good point. <laughs> oh, yeah, so Phil says uh, his his list is very easy this year. Zero wins, and I like to say zero wins so far. There you go. Um, yeah, Joe, I think a flowchart might be 
the way that we have to approach this one of these days. We'll work on some, we'll get our graphics department to put something together for this. All right. Um, why don't folks start entering the words food bank into the chat here? And then when uh, John has finished uh, mentioning who the recent home game winners are, uh, we can do our draw. In the meantime, I just want to draw uh, our attention to Eric Jin and um, Evil Roy, uh, our, our man Dave again. They won the last two weeks of the Fun Country online play and hang on Thursday nights at uh, 10 o'clock Eastern, where our premium members can come and compete in a nine-player sit-and-go every week. It's free to play, and the winner gets uh, $25. So I know you like that idea. Um, but yeah, please uh, type the words food bank in and uh, unless Chris has something to jump in here with, um, well, was, John, we'll start with that. I was just, uh, there's a couple of questions in the in the chat about, you know, maybe we could reschedule it and maybe, I don't think we want to cover that right now in the podcast, but um, if you're if you're sort of interested in talking through that, um, you know, we'll probably have to keep the dates as we've got them set, but but just kind of reach out to us and maybe we'll try to figure that out with you. Yeah, it is. Uh, we, uh, it's often someone is unable to make an event, whether it's the tournament of champions or the championship or something like that. Um, it, it gets kind of difficult to reschedule them for times when everybody can make it. So I would say, you know, send me an email, Jim at rec.poker, send John an email, John at rec.poker, and just uh, uh, let us know that there is an issue. Maybe there's something we can do about it, but uh, it's been in the past, it's just been hard to accommodate uh, changes, unfortunately. So typically it, it kind of just rolls out as is scheduled. Um, so I, I am sorry for the folks can't make And this it, is a, you know, it. I know this is a really busy time of year for a lot of people and things are, you know, we're just going to have to, you know, balance that with trying to get things done and, and make, you know, right choices too. So, yeah. Um, but we might be able to change, you know, how it goes next year. Like, I think it was never too late to start thinking about um, maybe adjusting the schedule next year to make it easier or sliding some of these into January or something like that. So we're definitely our, our ears are open uh, for the best way to accommodate um, everyone's needs. So I think we might be at an all time record for the longest home gate <laughs> results segment in any of our podcasts. And I haven't even started the results. <laughs> so let's get going here. John Lancer won six nightly tournaments or won, won the first nightly event for his sixth of the year. Nice. Jesse Two Shoes. Jesse Two Shoes won his fifth nightly tournament for the year. My Booty got his or her first nightly tournament for the year. B Chip Charles Allen Charles. got his eighth nightly tournament for the year east code spitter ben anslow oh, also Ammon, sitting up here today yeah got his fourth nightly tournament for the year uncle tom's cabin got his <laughs> sixth nightly tournament for the year elvis 76 won the daily mixed event for his second win of the year nice. jasper jr pat berry got his third international victory and evil Roy CA got oh. his 10th international wow. victory for his 43rd lifetime oh. victory overall. My so God. only seven more for the coveted lifetime achievement silver pin. And then it, poker geek and man, John Somsky got one of the daily LPP event. So he can contact <laughs> Jim at rec.poker for his free month at learn pro poker. 
Yeah, John, he really needs if it you're too. out there. Yeah, if you're out there, John, uh, send me that email, Jim at Rec.Poker. You're going to love what they have going on over there at Learn Pro Poker. Um, yeah, I'm with you, Rob. I'm not sure. I'm not sure John really needs that kind of expert training. He's been uh, he's been on a tear lately. So so far, I'm seeing two comments here in the chat so far. One from Keith uh, wanting to make long shot pool on the dice roll not being one. And uh, one from Donna, funky dice time. Yeah, I, I love that. So Eric Jin, um, who Binkley is uh, one of our Wrecking Crew members, put um, a little cut up of all the times that I've been rolling the dice here. And we've gotten a one. Even even uh, like I don't want to roll a one. I, I'm trying to make I'm changing the dice that we're using. Um but it has been a lot of ones recently, which so my hat's off to Eric for putting that together because that was a really funny video. Um, but last week when I wasn't here, Chris took over the uh, the rolling and uh, managed to avoid rolling a one. So I think we should just let him kind of steer this ship a little on on the die front because the guy gets results. What can you what can I say? That's, I was just saying basically. I guess I guess I just don't have that one sided Canadian dice <laughs> over here. <laughs> That's right. It's a quantum die. Yeah, they grow yeah. on the maple trees here, Chris. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So let me see. So we've got, and we should say it out loud so that there's no uh, bamboozling or tomfoolery that goes on in the uh, order of the events here, right? Because sometimes the names display in different order. So who do you see first in yours, Chris? Is it uh, graphic sixteen? Okay, so starting with uh, Roger there, it's Graphics, Dark Angel, Joseph, the RRRCCC, uh, Phil, Eric, Joe, Josh, and that is the list. So I wasn't actually counting, but let me see That's what we eight. got here. Eight. Okay, so what are you going to do? Are you going to roll the tenor? I got a ten-sided if- dice. If I roll a nine or a zero, I'll re-roll. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Drum roll, please. Here it is. See, I, it I promise is. it's it's real and legit. Here we go. Please don't roll a one. I want it to be a one. It's a zero, so I'm re-rolling. Oh, okay. So there's still time for a one. Still time. Could Six. Oh, all right. The very middle of the road. You know, just, you know. So that's Six. Eric. Okay. The, what? No way. Yeah. Amazing. Eric. Eric's been on a tear lately winning these uh, uh, these coaching creds. Well, Eric, you know what to do, my man. Um, send me that email, jim at rec.poker. You're already a Rec Poker Premium member, so you're going to earn another $15 coaching credit. <laughs> you're going to be you're going to be all coached up by the time uh, the, by the time the holidays are over, Eric. Congratulations. Um, congratulations on your prize. So, and um, John, I think Evil Roy is on such a roll. So he's pointed out that that is seven uh, fun country wins for the year. And 43 plus seven does make 50. But I don't think we're going to count those. The fun country OPA, as fun as they are, having a field size of only nine does diminish the... what what's the word I'm looking the for? Prestige. The prestige. The prestige. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Thank you for that. That's exactly Although right. it should be noted that for a nine player sit and go, you win what is it, twenty-five dollars? Twenty-five dollars. With no entry fee? That's correct. So that's an excellent value. I really yes. think I am going to encourage, given that 
Evil Roy has presented such greed and wanting that silver king. <laughs> I'm going to encourage lots of people to get in there and try to make sure that Evil Roy does not win a single another mm. one of those mm. fun country opas. I think we need to spread that wealth around. I agree, because honestly, Evil Roy and Eric Jin have been like splitting it up. There, it, there's often a full house in there, but these two are winning all the time. And I, I'm not even joking. Eric has purchased a standing desk for his workstation that is paid for fully by winning these fun country plan hangs on Thursday nights. That is, I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating. Taxes, shipping. I think he had to assemble it himself. I don't think he was able to pay for someone to come and assemble it for him. But all in, he is. Re- and again, there's only nine people that play in this. You have a one in nine chance of winning twenty five dollars. Have I mentioned that Rec Poker Premium membership is only fifteen dollars, and you only have to pay that once a month? You're going to get four to five chances every month to win this twenty five dollars for free. So I don't know if. I don't know if anyone out there can do a little basic math, but that's a pretty good ROI, um, a pretty good chance to get in there on that free roll. And yeah, so Joe, Joe is that he's won twice, so his ROI is infinity. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Let alone some of these other guys. So yeah, come and take this to come and take this away from uh, Dave and Eric. Let's let's spread those uh, uh, let's spread those fun country prizes. So Dave, you're going to have to write in and tell us something cool that you've done uh, with your winnings that tops Eric's standing desk. Cause I really love everything about that story. So congratulations to Eric and congratulations to Dave. Um, now Dave is also, he's coming up on Keck Ikean yearly numbers. I think is he's got to be in that 20 range for uh, how many rec poker home games he's won in the calendar year of 2023. Last year, uh, Jacob Kiki famously called his shot in January, said he was going to win 20 and did. It was amazingly impressive. And, um, you know, Dave Evil Roy has just been kind of quietly coming up, coming up the flank here. Um, I it think says he's had 22 a in the moment. chat. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I see. I, I, I have no reason to doubt him. Um, so I think we should all just kind of appreciate the poker genius that is Dave Westervelt. And, Congratulations, man. Like that's that's really impressive. Um, and that doesn't even count the fun country ones. So those are the ones that are actually padding his bankroll. But uh way to go, Dave. Seriously, hats off to you, man. That's that's really impressive. All right. Well, uh, let me see. We've talked a lot about home games and home game results. Uh, we've got the theme of the month playing against limpers coming up. Yeah, Rob. We have a book study on Wednesday. Yes, a new one. We're starting our new book. The Poker Brain by Matt Matros. Um, so far, I've got slides that go through the uh, optimal play concept number two. So if you're reading the book, um, read at least through that much. And that we'll be lucky to get through all of the content that's that'll get us to that point. But that's where we're going to set our goal for this this first session on the what is it? The seventh? The seventh. Yeah, this Wednesday. The seventh of December. Um, which is Wednesday, same time as the podcast. So it'll be at 7.30 Central Time. Eastern. Or Eastern Time, 6.30 Central, 5.30 my time. I'm in the Mountain Standard Time. And 4.30 <laughs> yeah. 
West Coast time. There you go for Eric. Uh, and I don't know what is what is it in your time, Ben? It's got to be even another time yeah, zone. That I think it's eight thirty. I think for me, because I'm the <laughs> other way. I'm towards yep. East Coast, so I think right. it's seven thirty <laughs> or no, sorry, eight thirty for me. Atlantic. <laughs> wow. That's right. We yeah, are coast to coast. Yeah, we are coast wow. to coast. I don't even want to ask Troy Chapman what time that is uh, for him, because Lord knows he's that's like tomorrow or something. Oh, he's eleven thirty eight. Yeah, that's another day. Yeah, it's a whole nother day away. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he's doing yeah, it on Troy. a different day than the rest of us. <laughs> tell tell us about the future, Troy. What's it like tomorrow? What headlines have come? <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because Troy Troy is one of the regulars in the book study too. I know he has time to set aside that early lunch break on uh, Thursdays to make sure he doesn't miss an episode. And it is every uh, the first and third Wednesday of every month. And if you're listening to this, if you're not here live, and you're listening to this later in the week and you've already missed December 7th, worry not, um, on the third Wednesday, December 21st, uh, you can still make the second uh, session for this version of the book club where we're going through Matt Matros's The Poker Brain. Um, and we record all the sessions and we keep them in the archive so you can watch the previous sessions, you can catch up that way. Um, and in the first one, it, a lot of the time, we just kind of talk generally about the book. We'll get into the material a little bit, but don't feel daunted. If you have, if you weren't able to attend the December seventh one, jump in there on December twenty first, and uh, you'll have a great time. And uh, you won't, you won't. Feel, uh, that, uh, left behind. that holds true for any of the sessions because true. they're all going to be recorded, so you can catch up. You know, if you're reading the book, and you can catch up at any time, and you can listen to our comments and our suggestions and and our questions as we went through chapter by chapter by chapter, and jump in anytime. Because it's uh, it's a lot of fun, yeah, and and it's really just um, it's one of the one of the things that we do here in our premium membership. Um, Rob's been doing the book study since we started. Uh, the book study has been one of the first things we started doing here at Rec Poker. Uh, but everyone on the Wrecking Crew has different areas of expertise, different ways that they like to contribute or to facilitate conversations. Um, uh, you know, Keith has his off-table tools. I do my Poker Tracker for review group. Uh, Chris uh, does his own deep dives and Q&As throughout the month. Kim Kilroy does her hand history review sessions. Uh, Tim Fritz does his DTO warm-up. Um, uh, Eric Jin, who used to do the Play, Explain, and Learn, the Peel, which was such a phenomenal program that he had running there. We lost the technicals ability to do it because Poker Now, um, which was a fantastic platform that we used to, to run that, I uh, lost the ability for us to kind of use it the way we wanted it to, but I hope that gets uh, reignited soon because that's been fantastic. Um, and even members like uh, uh, Jake Hirschfield from Unshuffled, uh, it, we were talking about mixed games earlier on the third Wednesday of every month. So again, that'll be on December 21st. We do the Unshuffled Mixed Games Q&A where we take the mixed game that's going to be the theme, the game of the month next month, and we do a little demo using Jake's fantastic platform on Shuffled, uh, where we talk about uh, the strategy behind the mixed games. We'll demonstrate a couple hands using Unshuffled, And it's a great way to, if you're a mixed game fan, you want to show up uh, nine Eastern on that third Wednesday of the month. And that's open. That's not just for premium members. That's open to all community members to come and get a kick out of that. Because uh, we want to spread the love of, uh, of mixed games. It's the future of poker. And as uh, people keep telling me, mixed game players just have more fun. It's just more fun. Okay, I, I can't argue with that. They do seem to be laughing and smiling a lot over there. I don't see nearly as many hoodies and uh, uh, earphones over at the mixed game table. So, 
All right, folks. Well, uh, what say? Is there anything else that we should be letting our members know about before we roll on out of here? I see a lot of shaking, not shaking heads. So I would love to thank our our YouTube chatters. It's so much fun getting people here typing into the YouTube chat. Um, we get a little back and forth. Uh, uh, Phil always finds a way to give me the gears. Uh, but I love him anyway. That's just how we're friends, okay? It's just it's how we express our affection and respect for each other. Um, uh, you jerk. Uh, so thanks to them. And, of course, thanks to uh, Keith, John, Rob, Troy, Ben, and Chris. Thanks to our uh, mystery guest, uh, who hopefully we'll hear from <laughs> before the week is out. Thanks to Mark Brashan. And, of course, the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino. Um, but really, thanks to you, the listeners, for making this all happen. We'll see you again next week. Thanks, guys. Thank you.